You didn't know you were going to be singing a duet this morning, did you? I went to uh, Einstein Bagels this morning, which is a trip I normally make in, in uh, the mornings and been doing that for a long, long time. And there's uh, and because I go in there so often, there are other people, obviously, that go in there often also. And there happened to be uh, one of those folks, he doesn't usually get there on that early on Sunday morning, uh, 7.15 or so, but he was in there this morning. And uh, he knows I'm a minister, and he came up to me while I was in line, and he said, Greg, in five words, I want you to tell me what your sermon is about this morning. And I said, uh, well, uh, five words are a little tough, particularly what I'm preaching about this morning, but I, I basically said, uh, the awesome experience of God leads us speechless. He said, hmm, I would have said, love thy neighbor as thyself. But, uh, but anyway... I think you'll see uh, the difficulty in uh, trying to reduce what we're going to be talking about this morning to five words. Uh, As I read this scripture from the 17th chapter of Matthew, verses 1 through 9, the transfiguration. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here, if you wish. I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground, and they were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up, and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until the Son of God has been raised from the dead. That is God's word for us this morning. These verses are traditional uh, verses, part of the lectionary that are always read on the Sunday before Lent begins, before Ash Wednesday, the Transfiguration. And I suspect that many, many ministers, many preachers are, are like me. They have uh, steadfastly avoided trying to preach on the Transfiguration uh, over the years because of the difficulty in trying to address and make sense of that which we are being told, let alone that, what, that which Peter, James, and John were trying to experience or did experience. So it occurred to me that perhaps uh, explaining it and offering lengthy explanations is not the best way to understand these words. But to be in awe, stand before the mystery of God. 
Uh, with that in mind, it occurred to me, uh, I was thinking about how I might approach this, and it, weirdly enough, Sherlock Holmes came to my mind. I love Sherlock Holmes. And the reason I love Sherlock Holmes is because mysteries are intended to be solved, and Holmes always solves the mystery. We're going to give you an example here. I'm terribly sorry to inconvenience you, sir, but I'm going to have to put this on you. Mr. Holmes, apologies for summoning you like this. I'm sure it's quite a mystery as to where you are and who I am. As to where I am, I was admittedly lost for a moment between Charing Cross and Holborn, but I was saved by the bread shop on Saffron Hill, the only baker to use the certain French glaze on my nose, a Brittany sage. After that, the carriage fork left and right, the telltale pump, the fleet conduit, and as to who you are, that took every ounce of my not inconsiderable experience. The letters on your desk are addressed to Sir Thomas Rotherham. Lord Chief Justice, that would be an official title. Who you really are is, of course, not a matter of time. Judging by the sacred ox on your ring, you're also the secret head of the Temple of the Four Orders, into whose headquarters we now sit, on the northwest corner of St. James Square, I think. As to the mystery, the only mystery is why you bothered to blindfold me at all. Yes, well, standard procedure, I suppose. Well, we always want the mystery to be solved, the explanation to be given. But the transfiguration is a mystery to be experienced, not necessarily a mystery to be solved. A number of years ago, Nancy and I and uh, the boys traveled to the West, and one of the things that we did along the way, one of the things that we planned to do, this, I have to say, the best planned trip that we have ever taken. Uh, each day we had somewhere we were supposed to be on our way to Portland, Oregon, the uh, Christian Church Disciples General Assembly. And one of the places that, that for my whole life, up uh, to this point in my life, I'd always wanted to go was Mount Rushmore. And so we had that opportunity. And I can, uh, really cannot explain to you the feeling that I had finally standing in front of uh, Mount Rushmore and gazing up at the four presidents whose images are carved into the side of the mountain. But for me, it was a great moment. And we had our our picture made. Uh, We got... Somebody else grabbed a uh, passerby to make our picture in front of the uh, in front of Mount Rushmore, but it was a it was an awesome experience. It was uh, something that really moved me beyond words that I could use to describe that. The first time I saw Mount Rushmore, and to this point in my life, the only time I have seen Mount Rushmore. 
mystery. Something that you just experience that moves you, that means something to you. When we lived in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, Nancy and I became very familiar with the history, some of the history of not only Winston-Salem, but how that history was tied up in a religious community, a denomination called the Moravians. And the Moravians have a great presence in Winston-Salem. It's their, what they call, southern province. And they have a famous church, kind of the headquarters, if you will, of the Moravian province, is Home Church, which is in Old Salem. And in that uh, restored area, that historic area, there's the Moravian Cemetery that you can see as you stand in front of Home Church and look out beyond and gaze beyond. Uh, While we were there, Nancy got to experience sunrise service at Home Church. It is uh, quite an experience. It begins at 2 a.m. in the morning, and uh, I can tell you Nancy didn't begin at 2 a.m. in the morning, but the experience uh, begins at 2 a.m. with bands in different parts of the city. I think there are 14 of them, if I recall, and they, uh, they will begin to play, and they are close enough to each other that one can hear the other in the idea they are calling to each other and eventually leading uh, one to home church and to sunrise before the cemetery at home church. And when sunrise comes, the balcony that you see there, the minister of home church comes to that balcony before several thousand people who have gathered at sunrise and proclaims, the Lord is risen. And the response is, the Lord is risen indeed. And each year there are literally, again, thousands of people that that come to experience that sunrise. Sunrise service in Old Salem. And even though it is familiar... And even though it happens year after year, the people who experience it for the first time or perhaps have experienced it for countless numbers of times, almost uh, without exception, they'll talk about how overwhelming the experience is. Beyond words that that can describe it. You just experience it. You don't try to explain it. You experience it. Well, most of the time, when we have some kind of experience that that we don't really know what to do uh, with that, we do like Peter, James, and John, and Peter particularly. Uh, When there's nothing to do, or what do you do, when there really is nothing you can do? And Peter, trying to think of something, says to Jesus in these verses, let me build three shelters, three dwellings, one for Moses and Elijah and one for you, Jesus. You've got to do something. 
And that's the way that oftentimes we, we respond. We're not comfortable with mystery. We're not comfortable standing before an awesome God and just experiencing God. We feel like there has to be something to do. You remember the story of Mary and Martha in the New Testament? Mary, at least in in that particular moment in the household, was, was able to bow at the feet of Jesus, was able to experience the moment. Martha had to be doing something in the kitchen. Now to be sure, somebody's got to do something in the kitchen or nobody eats. But there's something to be said for just standing, kneeling before God and being thankful or being confessional, just being in God's presence. That's all that needs to be done. Experience the experience of God. Again, on this western trip, we stood before the mountains, uh, the Grand Tetons. We uh, walked to this lake that reflected, it was like a mirror. It reflected almost perfectly the, the mountains that were beyond the lake. And we got to see all kinds of things on the hike that we took to get to the lake, which I think was about uh, five or six miles, I think, we walked. And then when we, we got there, again, uh, it was summertime, so you're thinking, well, it's got to, it was something, should we, should we jump in the lake? Should we run and jump in the lake? We saw that later on the same trip, these fellows that had been on a, a bike uh, uh, ride for I don't know how many miles, uh, they got to the Pacific Ocean. This was when we finally got to our destination. They ran into the ocean with their bikes. We made it. And so we're standing there before uh, that lake and just taking in the awesome beauty of, of that moment, those surroundings. And I was over, overcome with it. I think Nancy could say the same thing. Uh, Scott and Steve were throwing rocks in the water. Awesome moments of God. Well, one thing is clear in this story. Jesus and his three friends have an experience of God. Brief and mysterious as Matthew's account is, it provides us with more information than the other apostles, the other nine apostles got that evening or later. It tells us something about what happens and what happens prior to the resurrection. Peter, James, and John, eventually they're, they're silent. Because when stuff like that happens, what are you supposed to say? Words don't make the, the, the moment more meaningful. Silence is appropriate. 
just falling down on your knees and being thankful, praising God, realizing how small you are before an awesome God and giving thanks for God's grace. Well, they were silent. They weren't ready to talk about it. And besides that, if they had said anything to anybody, who was going to listen anyway? Who would have believed it? What words could they have given that would have convinced somebody, their friends, that this had happened? They weren't ready to speak. And as what happens afterward uh, makes clear, the episodes to follow, the journey into Jerusalem, everything that, that is experienced in that week leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. And their response to that, they were far from understanding the events anyway. And as much as we'd like to penetrate the the mystery of the experience, as much as we would like a Sherlock Holmes or someone, preacher, come along and explain every jot and tittle in the story, we can't. It's a mystery. Matthew calls it a vision in the ninth verse that we just read. And in this awesome experience, it's God who is the actor. Jesus isn't doing anything either. He's experiencing God's presence. He's in awe. God the Son. God who could and did rescue the Son from suffering confirms that Jesus, for Jesus that his way will be the way of the cross. God tells the disciples who will soon face conditions that seem to derail, if not bring to an end, their hope in Jesus, something that they were not expecting, Jesus' death, his execution, that those events were not something that they were going to have to, that they could look at from afar or go around, but that they were going to go through, that they were going to experience on the way to completion of God's purpose in their life. They had to see that crucifixion or know of that crucifixion. But... They also knew of the resurrection. This is a mountaintop experience. They're on a mountain, we're told. But it's not the kind that perhaps I just described. That people can write uh, glowingly about or recall with great uh, fondness and affection and deep stirrings in one's soul when, when you remember 
those mountaintop moments. No, this one, this mountain, is the subject of death. We're told, the disciples are told that Jesus is going to suffer, that he's going to die. And they experience the frightening presence of God in that moment. And it reduces them to silence. But in that moment, in that experience, in standing in awe before God, in God's awesome wonder, in due time, through the power of the resurrection, they'll remember, they'll remember what happened. And they'll understand And the heaviness of that moment of death, of Jesus' crucifixion, fades away through the glory of the resurrection. And then they'll remember, they remember the transfiguration, the mountaintop that they were on. And that which they couldn't speak about that which they fully couldn't comprehend, that which they simply experienced, that becomes good news to them. News to share. News that changes their life. the mountaintop experiences that that we have in our life, whatever they may be, and even the valleys that we go through. We may not fully understand what's happening in those moments. They almost always bring us to silence, sometimes to tears, sometimes to great joy. But the assurance in those moments is that God is with us. That God cares about us. That God loves us. And while we may not understand in the moment, Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, I see but through a glass Darkly, dimly, I just don't get some things. There are just some things that don't make any sense to me. But then he goes on to say, there'll come a day, a transfigured day, where I'll know, just as I'm fully known, I'll see face to face. I'll understand by God's grace and by God's vision, by what God does in us and through us through the power of the resurrection. That is God's promise to us. We'll know face to face. Let's pray.
God, we thank you for uh, grace and mercy beyond our understanding. Lord, we pray that sometimes you just help us to be quiet. And sit at Jesus' feet and know because we're fully known. God, we thank you for moments that transfigure us, for moments that overwhelm us, for moments that help us remember, experience, and know that you are love. It's in Christ's name. Amen.